started today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to gather together. We thank you for your word, and I think we thank you for your church that you have promised to build. And I just thank you for the tremendous privilege that it is to play a role in that. I thank you for uh, each and every person who is here who uh, understands that as well, that, that each one of us is playing a role in your church. And I just pray that, that uh, this morning you would meet with us through the work of the Holy Spirit and empower us and encourage us in the, the lives that we have to live. I just pray that your word would uh, be powerful and sharp this morning and that it would uh, just show us exactly who we are in light of who you are and that we would be uh, motivated to change where we need to. We uh, just pray that you would be with this time now, that it would be uh, edifying and glorif- edifying to us and glorifying to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Got a few articles this morning to look at. It was kind of a kind of a busy week in the news world <laughs> of some sort of off the off the beaten track of news things uh some of these anyway maybe but uh this this one I came across New York Post this is actually from Michigan uh I t- I try to look for Michigan stories for us to I don't know I'm not sure that they're always very encouraging. That wouldn't be the right word. But nevertheless, just so we know kind of things that are going on around us. And this one is from the New York Post, uh, March 28th. Headline is Professor Suspended, which that's a good thing. Professor Suspended after saying it would be more admirable to kill racist speaker than to protest. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we had, or maybe it might have even been last week, we talked about uh, Stanford Law School and a circuit court judge, I believe he was, uh, came to give a lecture at the university and was shouted down by law students who ought to know better. But unfortunately, they're being they're being taught that this is acceptable. This is what you're supposed to do is to shout down people that you don't agree with, even in a, even in a lecture uh, environment, let alone out on the street at, at some sort of uh, public gathering or protest. This is, this is in a lecture hall, a scheduled class for people that they are quote-unquote protesting, but what we saw was they're actually just uh, restricting <laughs> Restricting speech and, and freedom of thought and uh, communication of ideas, which is very dangerous ground to be on. And it gets much worse, <laughs> as, this, as evidenced by this. Stephen Shaviro, a professor in Wayne State University's English department. <laughs> English, by the way, the languages, English in particular, English departments were are the uh, highway of Marxist thought into uh, children and schools and colleges. You wouldn't think that that's the case, but historically uh, that has been the case in universities, that the English departments are 
very much in line with Marxist thought, and they perpetuate it. More examples of that. Stephen Shaviro, professor in Wayne State University's English department, was suspended without pay after he made a Facebook post that encouraged people to kill their political opponents instead of merely protest them. Quote, I think it's far more admirable to kill a racist, homophobic, or transphobic speaker than it is to shout them down, Shaviro wrote. When right-wing groups invite such speakers to campus, it is precisely because they want to provoke an incident that discredits the left and gives more publicity and validation to these reprehensible views than they could otherwise attain. He continued, The protesters get blamed instead of the bigoted speaker. The university administration finds a perfect excuse to side publicly with the racists or foes, phobes, quote-unquote. Uh, I'm not sure what, uh, what university he's speaking of, but I'd, I'd be interested in the university that is right-wing and... Uh, there aren't... <laughs> yeah, Hillsdale, maybe would they would be uh, considering, but... Uh, he goes on, the national and international press has a field day saying that bigots are the ones being oppressed rather than the people those bigots actually hate being the victims of oppression. Uh, he was suspended without pay after he suggested it would be preferable to kill someone who he deems racist rather than merely protest. Uh, he was suspended over this, yeah, kind of gets a little uh, convoluted. Shabiro pointed to the assassination of Simon uh, Petalura, an anti-Semitic Ukrainian politician, and his murderer's subsequent acquittal as evidence that this approach works. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this is this is sort of the direction that we're headed, just like in uh, the tribulation period, we see people uh, losing their lives because of, it specifically says, because of the word of God, people are, will lose their lives in the tribulation period. And you can, that's already the spirit that is at work uh, in the world today. This isn't a fulfillment of that, but it's just, uh, more evidence that, of course, it the world is absolutely headed in this in this uh, direction, to say the least. And so, here's another one that I came across, kind of uh, that goes along with this whole spirit that's that's in the world today. Uh, Gateway Pundit, this one is from March 30th, Uh, headline says, Teen Pokemon player disqualified from tournament over nervous laugh when asked what his pronouns are. So it's not even just, it's not even just the speaking of these things, it is literally your reaction to it at at a, a... Pokemon tournament. I didn't know there was such a thing, but apparently there is. Uh, Makani Tron, a teenage Pokemon trading card game, TCG for short. That's the cool, uh, the cool way to say it, I guess. 
Player considered suicide after he was disqualified from a tournament in Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte, North Carolina, keep in mind. You know, we have this uh, very wrong idea that there's such a thing as red states and blue states, and the blue states are really bad, and the red states are really good. Charlotte, North Carolina, because he appeared to laugh after being asked about his pronouns by a judge. Uh, he explained on this uh, kind of unknown website, he explains the, uh, the young man prefaced his story by saying he was nervous because the tournament was live-streamed, which he described as being nerve-wracking, so he's already kind of nervous about this thing. And at one point during the tournament, the judge asked both him and his opponent what their preferred pronouns were. In his post, Tron wrote, quote, due to the nerves and me being embarrassed, I let out a little laugh, just a normal nervous laugh. My response together ended up being um, he or him or uh, ha ha his, he, he says. The little laugh at the end was because I was trying not to be awkward. He's a kid, <laughs> after all. And he's on, you know, what we used to say, he's on TV, but it's being live-streamed, and I guarantee you a lot of people are watching this thing, so he's nervous. The judge, who asked for his pronouns, however, was not amused. According to, uh, coincidentally as enough, his last name is Tron. I'm sure that's how it's pronounced, but it looks like Tran as you're, <laughs> as you're reading it, so... According to Trans social media posts, the judge replied, okay, just wanted to check it to be safe. I go by they, them, so don't be a jerk about it. Tran claimed that he had no clue. He had actually upset the judge and carried on preparing to play. However, before the round began, some other judges walked over to him and questioned him about what he had said to the judge. I explained what happened. It was a nervous laugh. During this, I was very polite and calm. I made sure to clearly get my point across and made it extremely clear that I had no intention whatsoever of harming or upsetting anyone. Despite his uh, explanation, he was informed that he had violated their inclusive policy because he had made someone feel unsafe and uncomfortable and was therefore disqualified from the competition because of a nervous laugh when asked about uh, what his pronouns were. This is, uh, yeah, very reminiscent of the, the kinds of things that happened in the Soviet Union, uh, the kinds of things that happened in Nazi Germany and throughout history. There are a myriad of examples of these kinds of this kind of control of, of people's thinking that it gets down to, it doesn't even, sometimes it doesn't even matter the words that you say, your reaction to uh, these kinds of, uh, this kind of questioning or this line of thinking is also prohibited. And there are lots of examples, lots of examples of that. The, uh, Nick Sandman, a few years ago, you remember him? He was uh, persona non grata because of his reaction to that whole situation. We won't go into that. Uh, here's the next one. I was able to uh, screenshot this at just the right time, just the right time that I wanted to. 
The headline is Trans Day of Vengeance is Canceled. I'm not sure if you heard about this, that uh, this past week, of course, there was the shooting in uh, Nashville <clears throat> at the Christian school that I, it wasn't, didn't mean to be on purpose, but this is the person who uh, committed the shooting in Nashville. That, that was a video. The picture is a video that was playing at the time, and I took the screenshot of the article right when, right when she came up uh, on the screen. And so it's kind of, uh, it's been swept under the, under the rug a little bit, or at least tried to. That's the beauty of social media, that uh, there are two sides to every story. And as much as the left, essentially, would want to not allow you to see uh, some of the things that are going on, there are enough people that it's, it's hard to suppress the truth completely. Uh, there is this day that uh, transgender people were called to come to the Supreme Court. It was supposed to be either yesterday or Friday, I believe, uh, that they had this scheduled protest, quote unquote, that they were all encouraged to come to the Supreme Court and do this protest. And it was called the Trans Day of Vengeance was the name of it. And I believe it was to take place after the transgender day of recognition or something like that, that the, that the White House and government participated in. Uh, at any rate, the flyer for this trans day of vengeance had uh, firearms, pictures of firearms on it, several of them lined up in different colors, of course, uh, on, the, on the flyer. Uh, advertising for the Trans Day of Vengeance, and lo and behold, all their plans got ruined when a transgender person went into a Christian school and and uh, murdered people, and then was subsequently dealt with by the police. So now, all of a sudden, the uh, the media is trying to sweep the Trans Day of Vengeance under the rug because, oh man, this doesn't look good. They're actually had it scheduled. The flyer has pictures of guns and somebody came and murdered people. Uh, and so we've got to deal with that. And personally, I think that's why this individual was misgendered by the media. That was not a mistake. They wanted to, uh, she is a woman who is, uh, a transgender man, I think, is the way that that goes, that she is a woman who claims to be a man, goes by male pronouns. And she's a biological woman who murdered these people in the school. And so now, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't look good, especially in light of the trans day of vengeance that they all knew was going to happen. So we're going to uh, take the hit on misgendering this person so as to not uh, tell the truth. Uh, at any rate, the trans day of vengeance was canceled due to a credible threat to life and safety, according to Newsweek. Less than a day after vowing to go ahead with a rally in Washington, D.C., advocating for transgender rights, a group of organizations that had been planning the event has canceled the trans day of vengeance over a credible threat to life and safety. It just so happens that the day before, this person had actually taken out vengeance upon uh, some 
nine-year-old children and school administrators. Uh, so, and last but certainly not least, we can't forget Iran and their vowing of revenge on Israel. A lot of vengeance going on in the world, uh, which of course is contrary to the scriptures. Vengeance is the Lord's, of course, not ours. But this is an article from Russia Today. Uh, Iran vows revenge on Israel. Iran has pledged to retaliate after claiming that an officer in the Revolutionary Guards Corps was killed on Friday in an Israeli airstrike near the Syrian capital Damascus. West Jerusalem, Russia Today calls it. That's otherwise known as Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. Has not responded to the Iranian allegation in keeping with its unofficial policy of rarely commenting on strikes in the region. Uh, Tehran called the attack a criminal action, which it pledged would not go unanswered. As Iran's influence in Syria grew thanks to its support for President Bashar Assad in the civil war, which began in 2011, Israel has frequently struck what it says are Iranian-linked targets in the country. Tehran Maintains, however, that its officers serve in advisory positions only. It has reportedly lost dozens of uh, Revolutionary Guard Corps officers throughout the conflict, according to Reuters. And so uh, this is, we could probably pull up articles every week about Iran threatening Israel or the, the amount of conflict that's going on over there, but nevertheless, it does show that the scriptures are true when they talk about, particularly in Ezekiel 38 and 39, that in the future, uh, Russia, Iran, and Turkey are going to invade the nation of Israel and uh, they will be dealt with by God himself. During that battle known as Gog and Magog uh, that we're also learning about in our study of Revelation. So this is just more, some more evidence of the truth of Scripture and the stage setting, if you will, that is currently taking place. The um, Satan is obviously very clearly at work in this world, and he is uh, trying to move the world in the direction of exactly what we see in Revelation and one world government that is devoid of any uh, protest against the agenda. And that's uh, we're still seeing that today, and that ought to encourage us. We're still seeing the protest or the pushback against the agenda. It's still happening in the world, and uh, that, ought to, that ought to encourage us. So while there's, there's all kinds of bad news in these uh, articles, uh, again, we should be encouraged by these things because it becomes more obvious the more different we are from what is happening in the world. That ought to encourage us that we're on, we're on the right path. We're doing the right thing. The, the, uh, the enemies of God are so obvious and it's becoming more and more obvious who they are through their actions and their, and their words. It, it, needs to drive us back to the truth of the scriptures and and how we as God's people in this world ought to be living. So 
take heart in these these times in which we are living. It's uh, you know I've I've watched some uh, a a excellent World War II documentary this week that interviewed uh, Navy pilots who were still living. I think it was from like 2015. Navy pilots from World War II who were still living literally made me cry. <laughs> uh, these, the things that these uh, men went through and, and uh, for us so that we could still enjoy life here 80, 90 years down the road. And, uh, and it made me jealous at the same time, jealous not of them personally, but of the situation that they got to live in, that they got to do it. They, they trained and they uh, went through the process and they put it into action and got to, to defend this great nation that we live in. And they lived in a time that the, that the adversary was obvious and they stood up for what was right and what's good in this world. And uh, America and its founding principles are good in this world and good for this world and good for uh, being able to live in a secure, free way. And uh, that reminds me of the situation that we find ourselves in today. The enemy is obvious. The one who is right is obvious. The one who is right is God and his word. And it is very obvious to us how we ought to be uh, living our lives in these times. So... Don't be jealous of the people who got to serve in World War II or whatever thing your, uh, your idea of the golden age is because we're doing it today. Today, is, is, uh, it is spiritual warfare. Become, it gets worse and worse and more and more intense every single day. So put on your armor and get ready to do some do some battle for the Lord, which is, uh, brings us wonderfully to the book of Proverbs, and particularly Proverbs chapter 5, as this is the battleground uh, in the world, one of the main battlegrounds, you know, like World War II, there were a lot of different theaters of operation. It was one big giant conflict that basically was going on almost literally around the world, particularly in the Eastern Hemisphere. Almost the entire thing was engulfed in some sort of warfare. Uh, but there were a lot of different theaters of action. Uh, there was Europe, and there was Africa, there was uh, the Pacific Ocean, and Southeast Asia, and all of these different places where warfare was happening. And it's very much like the spiritual battle that we face in the world today. There are all kinds of different areas of operation that Satan is involved in, uh, governments and how, you know, all of the politics and the kinds of agendas that we see being pushed there, and a myriad of different, everywhere you can sin, <laughs> every area of life that you can sin in, that is an, an avenue of attack for Satan. And just like uh, the war against Germany in Europe was one of the main things, and the war against Japan in the Pacific for America and the Allies was one of the main places. Uh, sexual immorality is 
one of the main theaters of operation for Satan in this world today. And as I've had children, and I understand for parents, I mean, I guess there aren't too many kids here who are like, will know what I'm talking about. (laughs) This Proverbs chapter 5 gets rather explicit, so uh, we have to teach what the Word teaches, and so we'll do that. And if you're uncomfortable, uh, I will not in the slightest bit be offended if you want to take your kids and leave. There were a number of times that when we were sitting in church with our little kids uh, <laughs> looking up with big eyes that I wanted to take my children and leave. And uh, I don't know, maybe we did. Maybe I know there were times when we didn't, when I wished that we would have. So no harm, no foul. <laughs> and if you as an adult are offended by the things I'm saying, you, you know, freedom of action, freedom of thought. You can leave if you want. But in the book of Proverbs, uh, it, it's very interesting. It gets rather explicit in its description of the relationships between men and women. And so we will we'll deal with it as it is uh, presented to us and because it's important. And uh, God is the designer of these things. He is the creator of these things. And so you know, he, do, he wants us to understand them and understand them in light of the fact that he is the one who, who did this. And if there's one problem behind most of the issues in our nation and in Christendom in general, it's this idea of sexual immorality. And in, in our culture, we are absolutely over, overrun with this. It's, uh, it's on our TVs, it's on our computers, it's on our phones, it's on billboards that uh, now are electronic billboards, so they just rotate through and they really catch your eye because they're lit up 24 hours a day. You can't not see it. You can't not go through life in our world today and see these things, really, no matter how hard you try to avoid it. Not to mention the pervasiveness of literal pornography and the ease of access to it and all of these kinds of things. It's never been this way before in history, and uh, it's an issue. It's a problem. It's a big problem for, for the nation, for the church, for uh, marriages, families, and everybody essentially. And uh, by, its, by design, pornography in particular is, is very addicting. And as I mentioned last week, even secular pundits are recognizing this and recognizing the dangers of it and telling their uh, YouTube followers to not engage in it because it, it will crush you. It will crush your soul and uh, crush your your spirit, and your, and your well-being. God, of course, very much ahead of the curve, and 3,000 years ago is warning people about the, the dangers in this regard. And that's uh, primarily what is going on here in uh, Proverbs chapter 5. And, you know, we, we 
have a tendency to kind of make this into, oh, this is just about married men and, and uh, unmarried women and just try to categorize it down to make it so it doesn't apply to us. But I guarantee you it applies to each and every person in this room. Uh, at least the lessons to be learned and applied to our lives applies to each and every one of us. So we ought to, we need to understand that. Uh, and I entitled last week, Be True to Your Wife. It really could have could have been or should have been, Be True to God <laughs> throughout the Old Testament and, and the New Testament, but particularly to the Israelites. God over and over and over is warning the Israelite people the dangers of sexual immorality. And, and in fact, every time that he's warning them about the false gods and pagan religion and all of these things, that those two are a warning against sexual immorality because every single time that pagan worship is engaged in, it leads to sexual immorality. That essentially, they are replacing the God creator of the universe with the God of sex is essentially what it is uh, being, this is what is happening there because even the ancients, they understood the appeal and they used it for their own benefit. So it gets interweaved into the religion so that they can better keep control over the people. And guess what they're doing in the world today through pornography and all of the advertising and all of these things. They are getting control of you in your thinking so that you can be more easily controlled. And that is, is not a, uh, a position that we want to be in, to say the least. So last time we saw uh, the deception of immorality, and it begins with the call there in verse 1 of chapter 5, give attention to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, over and over and over in Proverbs that is the, like the opening remarks reminding us of the importance of this. We have to be the ones engaging in these actions. It doesn't just happen automatically. Uh, we're not robots who are, who are sanctified only in the areas of our life where God has done it for us. That's, that's a cop-out to say, to say the least. God wants us to be uh, moral people. And step number one, or the most important area of life to be a moral person is in regards to sexual morality or sexual immorality, to be avoided at all costs. And we have to be the ones who are participating in it. It doesn't happen just automatically. So it's incumbent upon us to be paying attention as we go, as we go through life. Don't just drone through half asleep. You can't do that because this is very destructive. We saw last time the destruction of, of immorality. And, and we also noticed that this is primarily, it uses this language of the strange woman or the stranger woman, the foreign woman is, is really kind of the, the translation of this. And that's because this is written to the nation of Israel and it was very important for them personally that they do not engage in this because it will lead to literal destruction of the nation. God promised them that. If you worship other gods, if you act immorally, I will come and judge you. That's the, the message of 
so much of the Old Testament and why God uses this language, Solomon writing to the Israelites, telling them the danger of immorality, and, and when he says it will lead to death and destruction, he be, literally. <laughs> and that's, that's exactly what happened to the nation of Israel uh, in 586 when the Babylonians came and destroyed the city and conquered the nation. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. How about that? Uh, because primarily they had engaged in false worship and therefore sexual immorality. And of course, there's application for us. The same is, is very true for us as we descend into uh, moral degeneracy as individuals. The nation begins to decay, moral decay everywhere, and it invades every, uh, every area of life, every area, every institution of society. Uh, the entertainment institution, the schools, the government, our own personal lives, the church, everything degrades as a nation descends into moral degeneracy. And so the true, this is also true for us as individuals. Isn't God's word amazing? It applies not only to the nation of Israel because God said he would do it, but it also applies to every single nation and every single one of us as individuals on different, different, in different ways, different levels. But it absolutely uh, will destroy your life and my life if I do this. It will destroy your relationships. It can destroy you financially. It can destroy your reputation and uh, the work that you're engaged in, in the church, or maybe not even in the church. These kinds of things can uh, lead to trouble. Even, it would seem, if you're the president of the United States, you can get into trouble because of sexual immorality. Uh, and so when we see these things, yes, it's written to Israelites, but man, <laughs> it is this Proverbs chapter five reads like a, like a divorce law book eh, that you're going to lose your property. Other people are going to have it and these kinds of things. That's exactly, uh, exactly the kind of destruction that happens in our personal lives. And so God isn't just uh, only negative. He also tells us what we ought to be doing. And that's what we'll get to today in the concluding verses, Proverbs 5. And beginning in verse 15, we'll see the relationship that we ought to have and the rejoicing that that relationship can cause and the reason why we ought to be uh, acting correctly in, in, uh, in, our, in our lives. Notice the relationship. Proverbs 5 and 15, verse 15, it says, Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. And so when... Uh, Solomon, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses this kinds of, kind of language, drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Uh, in this context, it becomes very obvious very quickly that he's using poetic language 
to get across a point. He doesn't suddenly uh, switch topics to you know, water supply. <laughs> that, obviously, that isn't, isn't what he's talking about. So he's trying to, uh, even though using poetic language, he's trying to communicate something else. And it's very obvious that he's speaking of a monogamous relationship within the bounds of marriage. That's what he is describing here in using this poetic language. It's very much a uh, statement on purity. For, for one thing, drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. When you, uh, is particularly in ancient times, there were two uh, kinds of main sources of water for people. They, in their own homes, they could have uh, dug their own well and have their own cistern, and it's kind of like uh, very similar to ra raising your own animals for meat, or you have your own chickens in your backyard. You know what you are feeding your chickens. You know uh, what they're eating, what they're drinking, how they're living, so you can trust that the little egg that you get, you know where it came from, as opposed to uh, the chickens that are raised in literally like chicken factories and are fed who knows what and live in the dark and all of these kinds of things. They produce an egg. Also, you have no idea what has gone into producing that egg. Same kind of uh, thing is, same kind of idea is being described here. Drink water from your own cistern. If you have dug the well, made the cistern, gathered the water yourself, you know that this water is pure because you know that nothing else is uh, contaminating it. And that this is uh, God's design for marriage and for each person in particular is to keep us to keep ourselves as pure vessels for one person in particular that's what's being being described here uh he goes on fresh water from your own well should your springs be dispersed abroad streams of water in the streets uh, well First, back to the uh, statement on, it's a statement on monogamy, very clearly, a fr fresh water from your own well. One, one source is what's being described there, implication within marriage and a relationship between men and women becomes very clear, very obvious, very quickly. One, as is described in Genesis, as is described by the Lord, the standard is one man, one woman for one life. That's the way God has designed it, designed it to be. And I know there's a, a lot of implications that go on. Uh, with that, I realize that we don't live up to the standard, obviously. Uh, and every, people have uh, issues in their life. I'm just telling you what God's word says and what his, uh, his ideal is. There are a whole host of sins that we engage in that I could stand up here and point to chapter and verse. You can't be doing that. You can't be doing this. But we do. The good news 
of the scriptures is that there is grace, that God is gracious, that God is long-suffering, long-suffering, that there is a, a method for us to be forgiven and have right relation, a right relationship with God, and it is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and faith in that. And we can have a right relationship with him even though we are sinful people. And so that's the good news, that there is grace available to us. But even though there's grace, there still is a standard that we need to be uh, doing our utmost in the power of the Holy Spirit to, to live according to. Because there's, there are consequences when we don't. And that's what we'll, we'll get to shortly. But note, he goes on in verse 17. He says, uh, uh, verse 16, Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? And this is kind of the two options in the ancient world. Where do you get your water from? Do you want to get it from your own well that you know is, is clean and pure and uh, that, that kind of you dug with your own hands? You know exactly how that is protected and what's going on there. Or do you want to go to the public source of water? Uh, verse 16, should your springs be dispersed abroad? Should you be getting your water from the public source, from the, from the stream that, that everybody goes to? Uh, and the implied answer is, of course, no. You shouldn't be using the, the quote-unquote common water source. You ought to be using the well, the fresh water from your own well, drinking water from your own cistern, your one wife, one, one woman, one man for one life. That is the standard. And this particular, uh, they may not have understood all of the implications of this 3,000 years ago in the time of Solomon. I'm not sure how much, how aware they were of all of the waterborne diseases and these kinds of things that uh, took place at the water sources. Of course, they understood the idea of clean water and that sometimes you can drink it and get sick from other places. Of course, they would have known that. But all of the, all of the implications that go along with that very much describe uh, sexual relations as well because it, uh, you know, the common source full of uh, used by everyone it's dirty, it's diseased. Yeah, that's exactly what God is describing here also. Not just a, a water source, but uh, a sexual source, for uh, lack of a better term, is precisely, exactly the same. And in verse 18, we see that God's, uh, or verse 17, God's standard is much, much better. Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Your own personal source is much, much better. God's design is much, much better than the world's design. Again, the reminder of the stranger here, the language to the Israelites, uh, the foreigner, the non-Israelite, they were very much warned about that uh, throughout their history in the nation of Israel and the dangers that will, uh, the problems that will fall upon them 
if they don't obey, obey. Next, we see the rejoicing. Notice verse 18 of Proverbs 5. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind in a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? The blessing and the rejoicing. There's kind of two uh, two ways or a way to two ways to look at this. Let your fountain be blessed. That's uh, kind of a a jussive, I believe, is the way that you pronounce that. A, a it's essentially a command, not just uh, let them uh, or let your fountain be blessed, but kind of be the one who's doing it. Bless your fountain. Bless your wife. Be a blessing to your wife is essentially what uh, Solomon is saying here, again, to his, to his sons, is the uh, poetic uh, device that he's using here to get across the message, but it, of course, applies to, to all of us, but it, it's definitely geared towards the male in the relationship. And the fact of the matter is that as the men go, so goes the, the relationship, the home, the society, the nation, all of these things as, as men are the ones who are, whether we like it or not, are given the responsibility of leadership. What goes along with the responsibility, it's not just the, uh, the right to tell people what to do. That's not, <laughs> that's not what being a leader is about. Mainly, it's the responsibility, uh, the burden that goes along with it. You are the one who's in charge. You make, the, make decisions, ultimately, but uh, you're also responsible when it goes wrong. And that's what we see so much in uh, society and in sin in particular. Nobody can sin like men. Uh, even though in our, our article time we saw that, that there was a woman who shot up the people in the school, that is incredibly rare. Uh, off the charts, infinitesimally small number of these kinds of shootings are uh, perpetuated by women. Almost none. And uh, men, of course men, are becoming the woman of the year in so many, so many different uh, categories. Because men sin a whole lot better, quote-unquote, than women do. We are the ones who are responsible. And uh, so when we fail, things don't go well. So it's incumbent upon us to be the ones who are leading in this regard and being a blessing to our wife, and uh, that will pay incredible dividends for you uh, in life as you as you go along. And again, he said he mentions the wife of your youth there in verse eighteen. Again, uh, God's ideal, uh, I think, is what's being described here. Uh, the implication I take away from this is get married young. Uh, there are a lot of advantages to that. You can grow up together. You have common life experiences. You go through the battles of, of life together, kind of like uh, uh, wartime friends or friends from the military, you know, that you, that you make when you're a young person. You remember these, you kind of go through the battles together 
And there's a bond that forms there when you, when you do that. This is very contrary to what the world is going to tell you. Even some uh, pastors will tell you, oh, no, don't get married young. You're young. You're stupid. You don't know anything. You haven't grown up yet. Uh, and it's going to be a disaster. Well, I, I would tend to disagree as uh, based on this passage here. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Uh, there are a number, a number of advantages. Uh, probably number one, you're kept from sin. <laughs> if you get married at a young age and you understand what you're doing, I'm not saying send off every 18-year-old to get married, but they have to understand what they're doing, uh, what they're committing to, and be committed to it. And when you do that, you're kept from a, a decade or two of living in sin, essentially. And that's, that will help you as you go along. And, I, and again, I realize not this isn't the way it is for everybody. Everybody's circumstances are different. People have different life experiences and these kinds of things. I'm just telling you to the best of my ability what, what, the, uh, what the Bible says. And I think God's I think God is intentional to use the 21st century term in saying these things because he wants us to understand what's best in, in the world. That's what he's trying to, trying to get across to us. And uh, a way that you can be a blessing to your wife is to, to be intoxicated by her, is what it is literally uh, saying there. Verse 19, as a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated, it says in the NASB, always with her love. Again, there's a uh, footnote there, uh, and it's literally saying to be intoxicated. I think some of the other English translations do uh, use that. It's based on the Hebrew term shagah, and it, it in other places it means to err to uh, you know, make mistakes, to be thinking about something else and make mistakes, to be intoxicated, kind of gives the idea of being ditzy, uh, being infatuated with this person. Continue that, uh, that original feeling that you had about this person. Keep doing that, even as you, as you get uh, older in life, because she is the one. Treat her as if she's the one, if you will. Uh, back in Proverbs 4.25, let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. <laughs> Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. I don't think it's any coincidence that Proverbs 24 ends with that. Keep your eyes straight ahead and goes into what is being discussed here in Proverbs chapter 5, the idea of having one man, one woman for one life. And the way that we can do that is to be infatuated or being exhilarated by the one person that God has for us. And, uh, and obviously this is a state of mind, which brings up again the whole the idea of pornography and it and the uh, invasiveness that it has in your mind to distract you from the one that God has for you 
That's basically what it's designed to do, is to distract you and your mind and your thinking away from your wife, away from the one that God, that God uh, has for you. And uh, it, make no mistake, of course, that sexuality and these kinds of things uh, is very much a state of, of mind, uh, a mental activity as much as it is a physical activity. And again, the, the horrendous, horrific nature of pornography is made very, very obvious. And so as men, we need to control our minds, control our thinking. Even though we're being bombarded by this stuff nonstop, control your thinking. Be exhilarated with your wife. Be intoxicated by the one that God has for you. And why should we choose the wrong way. Uh, verse 20, for why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? This is Satan's favorite trick. Uh, this is his main battleground. The, the way that, that he makes the most inroads in uh, the church, in Christians, in societies that he wants to take down sexual immorality uh, because we are like... Uh, Oxes, oxen being led to the slaughter. Uh, it's so easy for him to do for us. So why would we do that? We need to put on the full armor of God. Ephesians 6, 12 through 17 talks about. It's a spiritual battle, so we need spiritual armor. And we don't have time to go through all that, so I won't do it. I would encourage you to go back to our study on Ephesians to look more into that. And uh, as a Christian, it don't, don't help society crumble <laughs> uh, is a statement that came to mind. As we engage in this kind of activity, immoral activity, we are helping society go right down the tubes uh, against the thing that we supposedly, uh, we say anyway, that we don't want to happen. We're perpetuating it. We're helping it to happen when we engage in it and we can't do that. And the reason why is because God is watching. One of the reasons why, we don't want to be on the side of evil. And so why would we? And oh, by the way, God is watching. Proverbs 5, 21, For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. God is omniscient. He sees all. He knows all. Uh, and he is a righteous judge. Proverbs 31, I would encourage all the men in the church to, to read that uh, and understand it. Do the same thing that Job did. Here, Proverbs 31, verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How, could, how then could I gaze at a virgin? And what is the portion of God from above or the heritage of the Almighty from on high? Is it not calamity to the unjust and disaster to those who work iniquity? Does he not see my ways and number all my steps? If I have walked with falsehood and my foot has fastened, hastened after deceit, let him weigh me with accurate scales." And let God know my integrity. 
If my step has turned from the way or my heart followed my eyes, or if any spot has stuck to my hands, let me sow and another eat and let my crops be uprooted. If my heart has been enticed by a woman or if I have lurked at my neighbor's doorway, may my wife grind for another and let others kneel down over her. Uh, <laughs> I, that gets right to the heart of the matter. Are we willing to do that? That's from, that's from God's word. God is the one who's watching. We ought to have the same kind of commitment that, uh, that Job did. He knows all. We find it in his word. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It gets right to our, to our very motives. And furthermore, he's a righteous judge, and we're all going to give an account to him for how we've lived our lives, 2 Corinthians 5.10. You're not going to get away with it in the end. Your sin will find you out, just like Numbers 32, Moses promised to, uh, I can't remember now off the top of my head which tribe it was that was wanted to stay on the other side of the Jordan, uh, they said, well, if you let us stay over here, we'll, we'll fight with you on the other side of the Jordan. Moses says, okay, that's fine. If you don't, be sure your sin will find you out. And that applies in, in so many areas of life. Uh, not a coincidence that these things usually turn out that way, that people are eventually found out. And it's our own fault. Proverbs one thirty two: for the waywardness of the naive will kill them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them, but he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. It's, it's, it's not me <laughs> saying these things. It's God's, it's God's word. And sin eventually leads to destruction. He will die, verse 23, for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. Death it can mean physical death, of course. Uh, immorality, sexual immorality all the time leads to physical death, whether it's disease or a jealous husband killing someone or a jealous wife killing someone, her husband, somebody else. Happens all the time. Uh, while that may not, you may not physically die because of your sexual immorality, I guarantee that there is spiritual death that is involved in this as you are separated. That's what death is, separation from uh, whatever is being spoken of. And as a believer, if you're engaging in these sins, you are separated from your purpose as a Christian. You are saved, not just so you get to go to heaven. That's not the point. God has saved you so that you will then serve him in this life. Uh, that's what James is talking about in James 2.17. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Uh, if, you are, if you are not serving because you're saved, you're not fulfilling your purpose. It, you are separated from your purpose. That's the meaning of the, the quote-unquote dead faith. It's not accomplishing what God wants it to do, and he wants us to serve. Real quick, 1 Thessalonians 4, I'll just read it and leave it to the Holy Spirit to uh, implant it in your heart. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1, finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you, as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, I say this to all of you too, 
that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. I thank you for not leaving us here to our own devices, but you have given us instruction in your word. And you have also given us your Holy Spirit. I just pray that we, each one of us, would be softened to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and that we would be empowered through him to live for you in this world that so desperately needs uh, soldiers for Christ. I just pray that you would help us all to be that, to be motivated to do that in this world in which we're living. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.